Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Gabe Phillips, and it's really good to be here. I'm a pastor um, at Life Changes here, and it's really, really cool to be home. We went and visited a couple of churches in Durban, and uh, we really left going, we love our home church. We really love this church. This is home for us. So thank you very much for praying for us and letting us go and have some time on the beach. As you can see, I've got a really tanned. No, I did not. But I hid under umbrellas and put lots of Factor 50 on, and we survived. But we are in week two of our brand new series called Christmas Lights, and it's really, really exciting for us. We're trying to answer this simple question this Christmas. How do we find joy when life seems dark? And this is leading us all the way up to next week's Sunday, uh, where we celebrate Christmas. And we want to be, as Kate said so well, next week's Sunday, I'm really trusting that this hall is going to be full. 8 a.m., but let's invite friends, neighbors, friends. Uh, I said that twice because some of you need to be reminded. Friends, neighbors, and friends. You go which pick your, make your pick. But invite them. Don't come alone. Be a bringer. We're really trusting for this place to be full so that God can get the glory so that we can use the opportunity to reach people for Jesus. Yeah. Some people only go to church Easter and Christmas. So we're going to say, we're going to make hay while the sun shines. So we're going to preach the gospel next week. It's going to be an hour long, so it's not going to be that long. Don't worry, so we can get you off to your lunches and your family events. But we really are trusting for massive impact. It's going to be fun for kids. It's going to be mince pies. If you weren't going to come, now you're going to come. Mince pies. And we're going to have a lot of fun next week, Sunday, so we're excited. But I, I, I love holidays. I love holidays. Any holiday goes. Christmas probably is my favorite, but I'm a sucker for anything that gives me a day off. If it's Easter, I love it. If it's, if it's Martin Luther King Day, I'll take that, even though that's America. But uh, Mom's Day, Dad's Day, whatever you want. Valentine's Day, big one. It's a big one now in our home. But, uh, but there was one holiday years ago, one particular Valentine's Day. I know I'm a little bit too early in the, in the year to be talking about this, but whenever I think of holidays, I was almost ruined for every holiday forever because of this one particular Valentine's Day. Many years ago, 19 to be precise, I was a young whippersnapper in Zimbabwe, sporting the latest bowl haircut by mom, Phillips. Beautiful, I was looking good. And uh, in grade nine, we had, uh, in grade three, when I was nine years old, we had this tradition at school where uh, what would happen would, at Valentine's Day, all the girls during the, the, the lead up to break time would spend all morning glittering away, putting prestic down and, and putting sparkly things on paper and writing uh, soppy notes to their secret admirers. All the boys would pretend we didn't care and be playing soccer at break, but all of us knew our hearts were beating a little bit faster those days. This one particular Valentine's Day, I can remember it as if it's yesterday. The story, I've told it many times because it haunts me still, was the day we were lining up outside the the classroom and uh, all the boys being macho, pretending, this is a silly Valentine's tradition, why are we even doing this? Why are we even bothering? But craning our necks to see what's going on inside. Because the girls would go in first and they went up to each desk and they were able to place their card that they had diligently decorated into the, the desk of their choice. You know those desks, those ones that you used to lift up? Where it was like a little treasure trove for every child. You know, like, oh, this is my desk where old pencil shavings and rulers and, and broken pens and things were stored. Treasure for young kids. In those same desks was going to go a secret admirer's letter, the one of their choice. What happened was uh, we would always all be waiting. And, and up to this point, every year, I had never, I'd never opened my desk to find anything else besides what I had left in there before break. So I'd go, I was getting, my heart had gotten quite callous, and I was like, I don't even care about this stupid tradition. But this one 
fateful Valentine's Day. I remember walking in and just like, yeah, whatever, I'm not even going to look. But when everyone, wasn't, everyone was engaged with their own desks, I thought I'd have a quick peek just in case. And I remember lifting it up a little bit and my heart started to beat a little bit faster. My palms got, got sweaty. And I really got, a little, this little nine-year-old got really excited because there was something sparkly in the desk that wasn't there before break time. And I started to run through all the girls' names in our class against my surname, which one would be my wife, you know, which one sounded the best. There was no one called Fiona back then. Don't worry, girl. But, uh, but I remember that time, and as I put my hand in, this little hand went in to get the prize that was going to tell me who my secret admirers and confirm that I was desirable. This redhead was desirable to the young girls of Zimbabwe. I knew it, of course. My mom told me every, every week. But anyway, but I remember pulling it out of the desk and very excitedly about to open it, and a young girl ran over nervously, and she plucked the card out of my hand and yelled, Sorry, wrong desk. Yeah, you guys did well there. That was a good R. Thank you. Did you put R behind? No, no. I thought it was one of those Oprah shows. You know? oh. Wrong desk. The words that would rip my little heart to shreds. And I, uh, those, are, those are the words. I laugh about it and I tell that jokingly. But I've been thinking about it as we've been leading up to Christmas quite a bit. Because I think maybe a lot of us here, maybe people in our community, and definitely myself, I think often... I feel that life has often repeatedly declared over my life and possibly your life, or maybe this year, someone has come or some circumstances come your way and ripped out your hope or ripped out your, your joy, ripped out your peace and declared, wrong desk! Metaphorically, of course, over your life. And you've left, been left there clutching thin air, trying to make up excuses to hide your shame, your pain, your weakness, your embarrassments. I don't know what it is that has ripped that out of your hands. Maybe it's been a job that's gone awry this year. Maybe it's finances that have just bottomed out and you've been trying to make excuses for your family for a long time and you're just clutching a thin air and life keeps saying wrong desk and you're feeling, I'm, I'm just maybe not cut out for this. Maybe it's relationships that have bombed out. Maybe it's, maybe it's your relationship with God that you're just feeling, I've done too much and I feel like the enemy has declared wrong desk over my life. I want to tell you two good news this morning, twofold, is that you're not the only one. Your preacher up here is probably one of the most qualified to preach this morning on this because often I feel God's got the wrong man, if I'm honest. God's got the wrong guy. I'm supposed to be a pastor and my, often my life doesn't, sometimes there's things, my thinking, my reactions and my attitudes, I go, this is the wrong desk, God. You've got the wrong guy here. So if it's just you and me, whoever you is, then we're in good company. But I believe there are more of us. But I also want to encourage you this morning because the scriptures are full of people who felt just the same as that. Just to let you know, the scriptures are not about the blessed good, the heroes. Actually, as Homer Simpson once said, as he flicked through the Bible, he said, there's no one good in here except that one guy. Great theology from Homer Simpson. The scriptures are about the blessed bad, those who had lacked courage, those who lacked faith, but be despite that who Jesus intervened with and met with. And I want to say, let's find courage from that this morning. So as Quinton opened the series yesterday, last week, we found out that actually the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And right in the middle, before you flick over from Malachi to Matthew, the Gospels, there you will find in your Bible and most Bibles a blank page. Maybe yours says the New Testament on it. But that blank page, actually from the, the last words of the Old Testament rolling into, into the New, signify 400 years. 400 years. And actually, these are what uh, scholars call the intertestimonial period, where there was no more scriptures being written. 
There was no more prophetic words being declared. There was seemingly no word from heaven. 400 years passed, and the people of Israel who, who, who had learnt the prophetic words, they were trusting for Messiah, but heaven all of a sudden seemed silent. 400 years of silence. 400 years worth of silent nights where not much was going on. Not all probably wasn't calm. All probably wasn't bright. It was fear, anxiety. When will this darkness end? And then that's where we pick up our scripture this morning, on the back of 400 years, 400 years of wrong deaths being declared over people. Maybe we got the prophecies wrong. Maybe the Messiah isn't coming. Maybe as we're getting crushed by the Romans, the Babylonians, as we're being pushed and persecuted, maybe Jesus isn't, the Messiah, who we, the all-conquering king, isn't coming. Maybe we have been, we've been sold the sucker. Maybe we are wrong-desked, if that's even a verb. We have been wrong Let's read scripture together. On the back of that, we pick up our story this morning. It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. If you've got your Bible, we're going to read it from there. If not, you can turn your eyes to the screen. We're going to read it together. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. Sorry, just love seeing my name in lights. I apologize. Let's start again. Sorry, sorry. One of my favorite scriptures, this one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray as we sit on your word for the next 20 or so minutes, I pray would you speak directly into our hearts. I pray, God, would you go past tradition, go past formula, and uh, past our function, past just our churchified responses. Would we be able to respond in faith to you as you speak? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good. Everyone well? Everyone okay? Good, good, good. It's good to be together. Three points this morning that I pray will be helpful to you. They're helpful to me. They fuel me. They, they're pushing me on in this, in this journey called following Jesus. And there are three important things to remember when you think that you have been wrong desked. When you feel that God is silent on you, when you feel that you're clutching at the air and you feel actually I'm a fraud or I've fallen short of the mark, three important things for you and I to remember this Christmas and onwards. Number one is this, don't confuse God's silence with his absence. Don't confuse God's silence with his absence. I want to tell you this morning that the Christmas story isn't a cute sentimental tale that's high above our pain, our mess and the reality of this life. It's not just about 
donkeys and, and, and angels and maybe Rudolph appearing at the back of the stable, whatever version you're reading. But just I want to say, the Christmas story is not just there to be trite and little and a great story for children. The Christmas story for us declares that despite the mess, that despite the pain, despite the parent's silence, God is present. I want to tell you this incredible thing. I, I, I've learned learning this more and more as I watch and prepare for, for parenthood in, in three months' time is that parents know that when things go quiet at home, something is up. <laughs> Am I right? Do any parents know? Any parents say amen to that? When there's noise, you're okay. But when the kids go quiet, what are they up to? What are they planning? What are they plotting? What is going on? And I want to tell you that actually, without being condescending in any way, but God is like that, that God is never short of a plan. God is not, uh, going, when He is silent or He appears like He is, you know, I haven't heard from God for a while, it's not that He is absent. He is busy with things that are going on. Can I tell you this incredible, incredible thing, that the first thing that God reminds humanity after 400 years of supposed silence, 400 years, they've heard nothing, and the first words from heaven, if Tanaka, go, can you go to the next slide, please? It says this, this is what the angel Gabriel says to humanity, not just to Mary, but to you and I. He says this, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. First thing, after 400 years of nothing from heaven, the word of God comes and he says, he is with you. God is not absent. He goes on and says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I love this. These things that are echoed out from the angel to into humanity, the very depth of who we are, is that God is for us and God is with us. No matter where you are today, what in your mess and your pain and your anxiety, your fear of the future, your shame of the past, I want to tell you the great news is that Jesus declares, I am for you, I am with you. I've never left you, I've never forsaken you. It's the law of first mention, the, the fact that this is the first thing that God declares from the parapet of heaven after 400 years of apparent silence. This carries extra weight. I know this to be true. When I've ever been on the receiving end of some silence for my wife, you've got to pay attention to the first thing she says. It's going to be key. might help me understand why she's been quiet. I'm learning. But when God has been seemingly quiet, the first thing he says is not just some trite thing to say to make us feel better. It's prophetic. It's declaring deep into our mess, deeper, reaching past Mary into our brokenness and saying, I am for you. I am with you. Don't you love the scriptures? Oh, I do. I, I, for too long, I think we've painted, religion has painted a picture of a God who is angry with us, a God who holds us at arm's length. But I love the fact that the Christmas story on page one blows that picture right out the water. On page one says, that is true. Not, not true. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is for you, not against you. I want to tell you even more so, not just him being for you, or, or he's not passively for us, or passively just with us. He's actually relentlessly pursuing us. This is the story of Christmas for you and I, is that maybe you think God is distant right now. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I, I feel far from God. I think if we we're honest and you're able to put up hands, there'll be a handful of us who, who say, I'm feeling far or disconnected from God. I want to tell you the truth from the word this morning is that he's much closer than you think. He doesn't disappear. He never retreats. He's always pursuing us. We sang it again and again this morning. But heaven's promises are filled with yes and amen towards us. Heaven is not in any, in any way got an angry posture towards you and I. 
God is not holding out on us and saying, I'll see how they go. No, the scripture tells us that heaven is leaning into us in the affirmative. Heaven is postured with yes and amen promises from God. This is beautiful. This is what we get to preach this morning. I want to tell you, heaven is not on the back foot. It is leaning in and heaven is smiling towards you and I. Maybe some of you are shaking your head inwardly going, not me. You don't know what I've done. Well, I can't argue with scripture. I can't argue with what God has said time and time again, that actually he is no longer angry. Heaven is smiling towards you and I. This is what we are are living with. I, I love this little understanding that when you and I were born, all of us, don't picture it because some of us were born naked. But I want to tell you this, that when you were born, the doctor who was present had a look at you and just said, ah, it's just another screaming baby. Gave a whack on the bum and moved on to the next ward. Can I tell you, the social worker looked at the baby and said, oh, it's another mouth to feed. The mother probably of the child, your mom, my mom, probably said, how are we going to afford this third child? All the nappies and the school fees and doing the tally as the baby came out, oh, and the red hair. Oof. But can I tell you, all of heaven, we knew that, that sound of that first cry, all of heaven leant in and said, the plan has begun. Can I tell you this this morning? I promise you, no one has ever been born yet without a purpose ordained in heaven. If you think you're the exception, sorry, you're not that special. You're not that special. Heaven has ordained every breath that comes out of your lungs. And it's a positive. It's not there just by mistake, not by a momentary blip in heaven. How did that one slip through? We don't know. No, the plan has begun. I love this hugely because actually Jesus does not... Rejoice in our lost state. How do I know this? In in the scriptures, Luke chapter 15, there's three consecutive stories where they have a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. The stories have three things in common. Number one, something was lost. Number two, a huge search was put out for all three things. And number three, when they were found, they were all ended with a massive celebration. A party that will put any party that Trump Tower could ever host to shame. The father is desperate for his kids back. This is what Christmas declares. If you think church is all about being quiet, pious observations of tradition and religion, I want to tell you that could not be further from the truth. The Bible, as I read it, is one party after another. It's one party after another. And can I tell you how this whole story ends? The Bible, the last page, as you turn it, ends in a wedding feast, a celebration of the kids coming home. This is what the Bible is about. This is the scriptures that I read. And I want to tell you, heaven is still on an all-out search for every sinner to come home. The runaway, the stowaway, the thrown away, the plan is still in motion. God is relentlessly pursuing everybody. Psalm 23 tells us that His goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's not a cute little saying that I write on the back of my coffee cup or on the back of my fridge. Or, no, no, this is scripture saying, as Spurgeon says, His goodness and His mercy are the hound dogs of heaven. They'll hunt you down. The goodness of my God will get you. Stop running. Because this is who we are. As a church, I want to tell you again and again, we are not the moral police. We're not people sitting in the corner pointing out other people's flaws and where they fall short. No, no, actually we are a sign and a wonder echoing heaven's agenda. Yes and amen. He is good. He's better than you think. And he's wanting you home. John Calvin said that the Bible and the cross are nothing but a massive billboard saying the father wants his kids back. 
That's what all it is. It boils down to that the Father is desperate for us. So I want to tell you this morning, point number one, in the silence, don't believe for a second that he is absent. He is there, and he's pursuing. Second point this morning is don't allow your circumstance to determine your response. Don't allow your circumstance to determine your response. So all this news reaches Mary. God is pursuing. He's good. He's with us. He's for us. He hasn't forgotten you. He's got a plan. The plan is in motion. And Mary's response to that is quite logical. She said, I'm just a virgin. How is this going to be? You're going to have a child. You're going to carry the life of God. How? Good question to ask. It's okay. It's all right to ask questions with God. But, but I love the fact that Mary is not just biologically an unlikely candidate. It's not that she has not slept with a man before and she's young and she's saying, oh, how, how, how's this going to happen? She was an unlikely candidate for many reasons. Number one, she was from a place called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was the butt end of the jokes in those days. If they, someone got up at a party, they'll go, there was an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Nazarite. <laughs> they were like the Vandermervers of the day. So much so that the scriptures later, people said, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nothing. Not nothing good. No. Terrible backwater hillbilly country, the Nazarenes. No, thank you. She was from that, and she was from Galilee. It was a small, small little place. Not much going on there. It was one of those towns that from South Africa, you'd drive through and you'd go, whoa, what was that? Don't want to stop there. Keep going. Keep going, guys. Porfada. No, I'm just joking. If you're from Porfada, we love that you're here. But it was one of those places. Can I tell you, she was from Nazareth. Not only that, was she was very poor. She had no money. How do we know this? That actually later in Scripture, when Mary and Joseph go to present themselves at the temple, it tells us that they came and they offered two birds. The sacrifice was much more than that, but Scripture gave provision to those who did not have money could go and get two birds for free and give them as an offering. So the Scripture tells us they didn't have much cash. She was a Nazarene. She was from an, an unlikely place. She had no cash on her. Not only that, well, she was a young high school girl. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of Mary looking beautiful and 35 or 40 and with a nice halo and the child has a halo and the baby never poos or anything. It's like amazing. Like, wow, special. Stained glass window. Actually, theologians tell us that Mary was more likely to be 14, 15. A young teenage girl who was wide-eyed, probably would, if now would be desperate for Justin Bieber tickets next year. She probably had the posters on her wall of One Direction. That's the type of girl we're dealing with, not some qualified person who spent many years, and I've seen a few things, you know. No, no, no. Wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Not only that was she young, but she probably couldn't read. Because women in those days would not, were not educated in, in that way, as of that age. All she knew of the scriptures was probably picked up from oral tradition, from stories, from conversations, hearing the scriptures read out loud. She was not even qualified. I want to tell you, Mary wasn't a candidate by any of the world's standards. In fact, I would say as I look at her, look at that CV, I would say a very unlikely candidate after 400 years of silence to carry the life of God. A very unlikely candidate. Actually, I would say her circumstances were stacked against her. The angel says, you're going to be pregnant through the Spirit. I want to tell you, this had never happened before. This was not like something she goes, cool, I'm going to go Google that and look, check up Wikipedia, what I'm supposed to do. No, when we fall pregnant, the first thing we do is ask other people, we're looking at every app, we're trying to work out, hey, what's supposed to be happening at this stage? This is a girl, this has never happened, this immaculate conception thing, it was nothing that happened every couple of years. No, no, first time. This was a first time deal. 
just there's no, no one to reference, no person to go and say, listen, how, how was your immaculate conception? How did that go for you? No, no, no. No one to reference. Can I tell you, I love this, but God does not deal with us on our terms. He does not deal with us based on our present condition. He deals with us only through the lens of Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. I was just having fun this morning thinking through what some of her responses could have been in her head. Probably in that moment from, from saying, but I'm just a virgin to saying, actually let it be unto me as you say. What probably went through her head in those times. She probably zoned out and said, what will Joseph say? She was engaged to be married. Engagement, betrothal in those days was as strong as marriage. So much so in Matthew 1 we found that Joseph could have divorced her. They weren't married yet, but it was, it was as binding as marriage. She goes, so what is Joseph going to say if I pitch up and say, hey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Listen, they didn't have Jerry Springer in those days, so they weren't aware of these sort of things. They weren't aware of these confessions. I want to tell you, there weren't many virgins claiming they were pregnant around. She could have been divorced for this, but not only that, she probably would have said, what will my family say? Actually, divorce probably was a lighter sentence because actually for, if they thought she was lying and she had been sleeping around before marriage, she could have been stoned, according to the law. What do my friends say? She actually, in those moments, I can imagine her counting the cost, going, this will cost me my reputation. This, saying yes, this will cost me my comfort. This will cost me my life plan. I've got a life plan. She probably went to her LO guidance counselor, and he's, they've laid out the next few years, college, marriage is going to be beautiful, Justin Bieber concert is going to be amazing. She's got the plan. She goes, this is messing it all up. But she counted the cost in that brief moment. But I love it, as we see in the scripture here behind me. There we go. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. Let everything you have said about me come true. Wow. Don't allow your circumstance to determine your response. I want to tell you this. Jason Upton said this way, a worship leader. He said, trusting God is the purest form of worship. Trusting God is the purest form of worship. Not our songs. Not just our, our lyrics that we offer up. Those are beautiful, but... Trusting Him. And trust is only trust when you cannot see. Trust is trust when you cannot see. I want to pray. I prayed for us this Christmas, praying for myself, if that's all right, is that faith would become my language. That faith would be my mother tongue. That faith would become my response system. That if we bring it home now, if I'm able to say, that too often I've heard myself say, I will forgive when they say sorry. My circumstance determines my response. I will forgive when he does that. I've said it too many times where I said, I will tithe when I have the money. I'll be generous when the bank is full. I've said it before. I've said, I'll worship when I feel like it. When my circumstances are better, I will, then I'll respond to God. I'll, I'll get up early and read the word when I'm a bit more rested. It's a busy period at the moment. My circumstances determine my response again and again if I'm honest. But I want to encourage you, encourage myself from the word this morning that we must not give in to circumstantial living. Because heavens, the heavens are postured towards us, but I believe so many of us, including myself, are postured negatively towards our circumstances. Heaven is saying yes and amen, and we're going, ah, oh, but look at my circumstance. So hard. So hard. And we can't reconcile these two worlds that we are living in. Maybe you've heard these come out your mouth before. Oh, Monday. Anyone? No one? You all got great jobs? Good. Maybe you've said this before. Oh, in-laws. If my in-laws are listening on the, on the recorder, I love you. Good. 
He's crying, sorry. Maybe you've said this, oh, there's no money, it's the end of the month. Oh, my kids, oh, my spouse. Maybe you've been doing that. I want to encourage you this Christmas, in this moment, to, to start developing a different response system that does not start with your circumstance, but starts with what heaven is saying to you. Thank you, Michelle. Okay, I tell you, this is not a story about Mary. Do you know that? The scripture is not just, it's actually not about Mary. This is a story about you and me. It's a story about how we'll respond to the word of God when it meets us. Because God wants to use us. I want to appeal to you that if you choose to not allow your circumstances to determine your responses, the impossibles are about to break open in and through your life. I think too often we don't live in impossibility, the things that God is, the, the realm of God, which is the realm of the impossible, because too often we are living in the realm of what we see, the circumstances that are around us, the things that are overwhelming us. When God's saying, actually, if you lean into a different response system, you'll start to see different things happen. Third and final point as I bring this into land is don't settle for the ordinary. Don't settle for the ordinary. I don't know if any of you have asked a teenager recently or a young child, you've asked them at the end of the day, what did you do today? What did you learn at school? Nothing. I don't know if anyone's ever said that. Eh? Anyone heard that? Uh, what, have, what have you done today, young man? Nothing. Like 24 hours of nothing. That's a, that's a skill. That's a gift. How did you do it? It's amazing. Teach me your ways. It's incredible. Uh, nothing, you know, they say. But I, I actually think a lot of us live in that realm. What's God doing in your life? And we're like, um, I don't know, nothing really. Okay. I can imagine they ask Mary, Mary, what's going on in your life before this happened? Mary, what's going on? She goes, well, there's a wedding coming. I've been watching Say Yes to the Dress. It's, it's amazing. I've got it all planned out. You know, It's really good. Very busy at the moment. It's got a lot of, a lot of schedule, tight schedule. We're going to try and get everything done. They're looking at different colors. The wedding's coming up. Good, good, good. What else? Justin Bieber next year. You know, The concert, got to get the tickets. Got to get all the mates together. We've got to learn all the, the new songs so we can sing in Golden Circle. circle. And they say, and Mary, spiritually, what's been going on? Look around, we're 400 years, we've heard nothing. It's tradition, we're going along with the status quo. Every week we do the same old, same old hokey pokey, Christian hokey pokey, and they tell us the Messiah's coming. I don't know when. Nothing's really going on. But despite this, heaven saw something different in her response system. Despite this, she had postured herself towards heaven and had not settled for the ordinary. Everyone else was going that way. But suddenly something stirred in a young girl who was unqualified. It was not, up to, not about her, but she said there's something different in her as she responded differently. And I want to say that today, in the same sort of moment, without overplaying it, but really understanding the times we're living in, that God is about to do something in and through you and I that will shape the course of history. Does that sound like an exaggeration? I don't think so, because this young girl woke up one day, the angel meets her and says, listen, young girl, what's going to happen to you now, despite whether you say yes or no, can I tell you, through you, you are going to birth the Son of God who will be the Savior of all mankind, and everyone, this moment, rest on this moment. Hey, don't, don't exaggerate, angel, come on, man. No, 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 this is a massive moment, and I believe we're sitting on the same sort of understanding. Can I tell you, do you think Mary fully understood what was going on in, in that moment? I don't, I don't think in that moment she was going, okay, son of God, birthing, cross, I'll have to, yeah, cool, blood of the lamb. Yeah, I get it now. It makes sense. Good. Theologically, it lines up. I don't think so. I don't think she did the numbers and said, I'll get back to you at the end of the day. Let me just go check the scriptures or go run. No, no. This was a moment of 
pure faith where he says, let it be to me as you say. She just received the word of God fully. Not chopped down into some pureed form, but actually she ate it whole. Can I tell you, I love the fact that God uses our nothings. This is a woman who was barren. There was no, there was no, uh, there was no sexual contact that he used. There was nothing else. It was, it was a barren womb that he put his life, the life of God into. There was nothing going on there. She was a young girl, a virgin, pure, but the life of God was able to come into that moment. And I want to show you something this morning that will shape us. And I believe, I pray this will go deep inside of you. We've got three scriptures I would like to, to show us. This is actually what God does. This was not just a one moment. If we look at it, Genesis 1, then we're going to look at Luke 1, then we're going to look at Acts 1. Are you all ready? Some very big, some Bible scriptures right here. Genesis 1 starts like this. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Barren. Another word you can use for formless and empty is barren. Nothing going on. The earth, chilling. Darkness covering the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was overshadowing the surface of the waters. If you've got a Bible, underline that word. Because that Greek word, the next time it appears, is in Luke chapter 1. So we go to Luke chapter 1. If we look at the scripture behind us, Luke chapter 1 says this. We just read it. How can this be? I'm a virgin, barren, empty, dark. Formless, nothing going on. The angel said this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Same Greek word that's used in Genesis 1 is used in Luke chapter 1. Wow, 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 some, God is up here. This is not just some, some by chance thing. I want to tell you this exciting thing at the moment, that at creation, over the emptiness of the deep, the Spirit of God said, I'll come upon it and I'll overshadow it and my life will be birthed. Then at the birth of Jesus, the announcement of the kingdom of God, the changing of the God, 400 years silence, Jesus is about to come and lead us into the new age. Kingdom has come. And over the barrenness of Mary's womb, the Spirit of God says, I'll come upon and I'll overshadow and the life of God will be birthed. Why does this matter to you and I? Acts chapter 1 says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Underline that because it's the same Greek word again. Overshadow, come upon. It's the same word that has been used three times. And every time, at the moment where the church are nervous, that Jesus is speaking these words into people who are nervous. Jesus is about to go, and they're about to go, what now? People who have nothing to give, who are dark, formless, empty. The church which is formless. And he said, my Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the life of God will be birthed. At creation, at the birth of Jesus, at the birth of the church, the same words are used because God is doing something. Out of our nothing, he's starting to birth something. I want to tell you this this morning. The reason that I moved to Tableview seven years ago, the reason that, I, that we as a people moved into Milnerton seven, eight months ago, the reason that I pray that you live and I live in this area, for me, has nothing to do with economics. I promise you the reason I live in this area has nothing to do with the nice beach. Look at me. I hardly spend any time there. The reason I live in this area is not because of the great views, although we do have great views. The reason that I believe I am called here and live here is because I am convinced that God loves birthing His life out of nothing. 
I'm convinced that God is about to birth something in Tableview and Milnerton out of a motley crew of people who will take him at his word. Not at our circumstances, not at, oh, but it's quite a, a post-Christian world out there, Gabe. No, no, that we're about to see something amazing in Cape Town, South Africa through us because we'll say, let it be unto me as you say. That the church of God will receive the word of God that has been put inside of us. The Holy Spirit wants to birth the life of God in us. The life of God. Will you be a carrier of the life of God? God is wanting to do something in and through us that will astound the world. I believe it, and I'm more and more becoming convinced. There's one more time that that word appears in Scripture. It's actually in Acts 5. I didn't put it up, but you can go look at it later. In Acts chapter 5, it talks of this man, Peter, who's on the receiving end. He's seen all this happen. He's received the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come upon him, and he's carrying the life of God after fighting it for many years. Do you love Jesus? Hey, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Denying Jesus three times. But all he settled that in his heart finally. I will carry the life of God. In Acts chapter 5, it says Peter was walking one day. And there was a sick man on the side of him. And it says Peter's shadow. It is the same root Greek word for the Holy Spirit will overshadow. It says Peter's shadow falls on this man. Peter does not pray for him. Peter does not go and fast and do a rain dance over him saying, I hope he gets better. No, no. Peter walks past. His shadow falls on him. This man goes, whoa. I'm better. What happened there? That's weird. I want to tell you, I believe that this is what God is wanting to do inside of us. That actually, when we receive the word of God, when we receive it in faith, we don't have to sweat and work our way to miracles. We don't have to try and be Christians. We have to, we live from the place of response in the life of God. We learn that we understand we carry the life of God and that miracles flow effortlessly. That's who we are as a people. I believe it and I'm trusting it that actually I will be a, a conduit of heaven, that heaven's yes and amen promises. I'm the conduit, the pipeline, that when people shake my hands, they are shaking hands with a person who said yes to the promises of God. I believe it. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating, but I'm trusting it this Christmas as everyone is winding down that the church of God are starting to wind up as they believe that God is on the move. He's not passive. He's not silent. He's wanting to reach people. And he's going to do it through you and I. I trust this and I believe it. I want to land this morning with some A.A. Milne, if that's all right. The man who penned Winnie the Pooh, the great author. There's a moment in the book where Piglet, the little Piglet, says this. It says, Piglet always got excited when Christopher Robin put his boots on because when he put his boots on, it meant adventure was just around the corner. I believe this is a time where we see that our king is on the move that our king is putting his boots on, that he is not settling down. It's not time to settle down. It's the time to rise up and respond to him. And that actually this is the time for the church to do the same, to put their boots on, to put her boots on and say, Father, would you fill us? Would you meet us? And would you birth your life in us so we can carry your life to this world? Yeah. I want to pray. Maybe I'm just too passionate after two and a bit weeks off. I don't think so. I believe I'm really trusting that I, this is my, the dream that is in my heart, that I'll get to be a part of a group of people who would change the world, who would not count their lives as their own. People who would say yes to the crazy thing God's asked them. People who, who would go where God tells them. People who would say yes to the word of God. who will say, I will not be determined by my circumstance, but my response will be determined by heaven's posture towards me. I dream in my heart there'll be a, with a people who don't get despondent when they think God is silent, but they'll know that God is still with them. God is for them. 
I dream of a day that we'll be a bunch of people and we're there, we're moving more and more into it, we'll be a people who will not settle for ordinary. Who allow the Spirit of God afresh to come upon them. Maybe you're sitting here and I pray right now, in this place, I believe that people who have been sitting for a long time, maybe even have drifted into passivity. And maybe this is even the word that you didn't expect to hear this morning, one week before Christmas, but actually God is saying, you're not too far gone. You don't have to now go and start a new course to get back to where you were. It's in this moment, will you respond to the word of God? The spirit of the living God is here and he's hovering over hearts. If your heart is barren, if your heart is empty, if your heart is painful, if your heart is full of mess, if your desk is wrong, desk, there's nothing in it anymore. Perfect conditions for God to work because he'll overshadow, he'll come upon and he'll birth his life. If that's you here, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing. Open your hands to him. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to ask you to open your hands to receive. A posture of receiving. As if somebody wanted to give you a gift. So open them up. Thank you. God, as these people open their hands up, I pray right now, God, you're reminding you, people who've been warriors before, who've, who've, who've run this race, but it maybe have lost the passion, lost the burning, lost the zeal. God, I pray right now you'll capture our hearts again. Capture our hearts again. Would you come upon? Holy Spirit, would you come upon us? Would you overshadow us and would you birth your life? I thank you, God, for these brave, amazing people, courageous people who say yes to your yes and amen. I thank you, Jesus, that you're doing your work in us. For Mary, as she received that promise, there was a, there, she had to walk it out. The birthing process, the nine months that followed as she allowed the, word, the, the words to become reality. I pray right now, God, would you give us courage? Where the enemy wants to short-circuit wants us to, to walk out of here and forget or move on and say, ah, oh, that was great. But I thank you, God, that this word would go deep in our hearts. That these scriptures, your word, would go so deep they'll bear a great harvest. I pray, God, would every person here, I pray even right now, a strong word, would they not abort the life of God? Would they not give up on the life of God? Would they not get tired of the life of God? Would they press in and say, Father, do your full work in me? I pray that over myself, Pray this over my friends, God, where every single one of us right now give us hope, give us courage, give us joy. And as we open metaphorically the desk, we find that you have poured your promises in there. And we never stumble over a situation where we have been wrong desked. You're for us, you're with us. And we believe that today. Before we land, if you need any prayer, or if you, need a, if you want to make a, a moment where you say, actually, I need to make a, a big decision. I'm going to ask you, is when we land, please come up to the front. We, want, we have a bunch of people who love to pray for you. We've got coffee outside. We've got uh, iced coffee and hot chocolate. It's going to be really, really good together. But, but don't rush off if God's dealing with you. If you need to sit for a moment, it's okay. If you need prayer, come and get prayer. If not, that's great too. But let's make sure that we really do well with the life of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. We love you hugely. Come get prayer if you need it. We'll see you next week, 8 a.m., not 10 a.m., 8 a.m. next week. Come, don't come alone. Bring a friend, and we'll see you there. Have a fantastic week.